0: Why have I quit my job? Why have I, you know, bought a van and and why am I going to drive around the country? Well, I'm passionate about the idea that you need to be heard. And I want to stitch these stories together across the states. We're going to find the commonalities, and it's going to be really an amazing experience, and I look forward to you joining me on the job. hey everybody welcome back to mental health today i am your host ken stearns uh really good to be back on the the mental health microphone because i always have guests that really enlighten me this is you know i do the retail podcast which is show the jar and the common thread that i found was was mental health the crisis in mental health and taking that thread starting this show And it's just been really interesting for me, very educational. And I hope anybody listening, kind of following along gets, gets this out of it as well, which is just the different ways that people are approaching, helping solve the crisis. And it's, it's fascinating to me because I'm a, I'm an experimenter by nature. I love, I love experimenting and, you know, there aren't always more than one way to skin this cat. And I think, you know, Lindsay, I think you're, you're a, great, you're a great next guest in a series of so, of so many kind of painting this fabric of how do you solve a mental health crisis? And it takes a lot of people and a lot of different approaches. And I like how some of the stuff that I, that I saw on your site and uh, the testimonials about, about saying how this method or some of the methods you're using um, really do feel like they're getting progress. I thought that was a powerful testimonial. Uh, from that one gentleman on the YouTube, you know, really getting back to nature and you know, being a veteran. And I also thought your veteran work is really good. Um, but before we get to kind of in all that, how did you how did you end up in mental health? What is how did you end up with you start off as a therapist? And how does uh, that happen? Was it mom's idea? Absolutely or? did
1: not start off. So, first, thank you for even giving me a platform to tell this story because it is uh long and strange and interesting, but I feel like um, life was always kind of leading me here. So, um,
0: you're right where you're supposed to be.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I will tell you that, um, the underlying thread throughout my entire life and then into my entire professional, uh, life has always been nature. It's this very deep connection Mm -hmm. to nature that I've always had as my caretaker, my safe space. Um, and from the time that I was very young, I grew up in a household with two very loving parents, but, um, you know, my father um, was a Vietnam veteran. He did two tours mm. in the Navy during Vietnam. Okay. Um, oh, oh my computer's being finicky with me. He did two tours in the Navy during Vietnam, and, like most Vietnam vets came home um, just as the war was ending and uh, carried a lot of baggage with him. So um, I put this neatly by saying that my mother and I were often collateral damage to that. Um, and despite the fact that I grew up in the city of Rochester um, with my neighborhood kind of being bordered by two different major thoroughfares, I was able to find some really beautiful green space. If I hopped the fence from my backyard, went down to the dead end at the end of my street and then into the woods back there. And as ah, it turns to the back. out, okay. yeah, the, those woods okay. would dump out into um, the shoreline of the Arondakoi Bay. So oh. here in Rochester, New York, um, I was outside as often as humanly possible. And, of course, back in the 80s, you didn't have to come inside until you heard, like, the dinner whistle, you know? Yes. My mother yeah. had a fantastic whistle where she would use, like, both fingers in her mouth. I still – I can't do that. Um, but I could hear her from miles away. And so I'd hear the dinner whistle and then come running back. And, again, in the 80s, you could do that, right? So, Absolutely. Um, nature was <clears> my <throat> – She was my safe space when things didn't feel quite safe at home. And um, I always had an affinity for green spaces. I was never afraid to be in the woods by myself, um, despite the Mm. fact that I grew up in the city and was always adventuring and exploring and just doing those types of things. So naturally, when things led into high school, I, I remember at a career fair, a woman asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I told her I wanted to save the world. And she laughed at me and I was very serious. And I said, I, I, I'm not kidding. That, that is what I want to do. So um, not knowing any better, I think, she kind of steered me towards environmental science. And I uh, got my undergraduate and my graduate degree in environmental science. Um, a lot huh. of it had to do with conservation work and just understanding okay. how people interacted with natural spaces um, and what that looked like in different Hmm. degrees of management, um, federal, state, private, nonprofit, um, so on and so forth. And what I, the conclusion that I felt was most important in all of that was when you try to protect it by putting up a fence around it, um, it is much more likely for that area to remain unprotected because you haven't included local culture and people and ancestry there in that process of protection. But in the, green spaces that were protected and that protection plan included education, volunteer and engagement with the people living around those spaces. Not only was it more financially efficient, but it was just more efficient and effective all the way around. So yeah. there was yeah. something to people connected with their green space. Um, anyway, I, I managed to get the national science foundation to give me a fellowship to complete all that research. And, they uh, in the process, the exchange was that um, I could spend my semesters living in Puerto Rico and working with the people in Puerto Rico, but I had to come back for one semester to finish classes. And while I was doing that, I also had to teach a course to high school seniors called the global environment.
0: Okay. That sounds like a pretty good exchange.
1: It was. And I'm happy that I did it because as it turns out, I didn't really want anything to do with science research. I wanted to teach and I didn't know it. Um, Yeah. So uh, my first kind of taste for that was um, I got a scholarship and I went over to the United Nations conference on climate change in 2009. And the more that I interacted and talked with people, the more I realized how much I love to talk about this. Mm. And then um, my, my master's rolled around and I realized how much I really love educating young people about this. And I started to see the effects of what was happening and they were doing research projects and they were going out into the world and like asking hard questions of politicians and company owners and completing this research. And it was great. And so I thought, that's it. I'm going to be an educator. That's going to be my career. Um, And I did that for a good long time. I traveled, I worked in California. I came back here to New York. My husband and I started a nonprofit organization called the Earthworks Institute here in Rochester. Yeah, yeah. Based in expeditionary learning. Um, we worked mostly. We either did four school programs. We were the first forest school in Rochester. Or we did um, uh, education. Um, I was a, an adjunct professor with my former college, ESF, SUNY ESF. And we did education in city classrooms, um, expeditionary learning, where we would bring okay. kids outside into nature. Yeah. And I loved it. Um,
0: oh, that's magic. I mean, kids, real real city kids into real, take your shoes off, feel the grass.
1: Yes. Don't have to stand in line. You don't have to be quiet. No, there aren't bears and wolves out here. Um, <laughs> just We were right in the city of Rochester just using city green spaces, but really, really creating um, – these incredible experiences for young people here in Rochester who didn't think that they either, um, should or could have access to it. And, Mm. um, Ken, I would have done this forever. Uh, unfortunately right around, um, actually it was the beginning of 2017. My father was diagnosed with a terminal brain Mm. cancer and it put my whole world on hold. Um, And a lot came up for me during that year with him. Um, There's a lot from childhood, like I mentioned before.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to process there.
1: Yeah. And the cancer came on so quickly that there's a lot that didn't wind up getting processed because Mm. after a while, there just wasn't the capacity. And so I had to go through a journey of my own trying to figure out how to love and forgive and care and um, just... I don't know, reconcile with all of it. And it it was a tough, it was a tough, 2018 was a rough year. 2017 was rough, just caring for him. And then after we lost him, spent a lot of 2018, just trying to figure it all out. Um, One of the thoughts that kept coming into my head over and over again is for 15 years, my father went to a mental health counselor at the VA and Hmm. nothing was resolved for him and there was a lot both personally and uh between him and i that just never got talked about and never got resolved and Mm. i kept also reflecting back to right up until the day he passed how important it was for him to just be able to sit quietly and look at green spaces look at natural spaces and how he um instilled that in me and i thought Mm. to myself there's something more to this outdoor thing. Yeah, you know, and I, I want to make that happen somehow. And so what I did was I took that life experience and um, my background as a research scientist. um, And I started doing some research into nature based therapy and what that looked like. And especially for veterans. Um, And I realized that there's all kinds of programs all over the country um, yes. that have to do with wilderness therapy, meaning you pluck somebody out of their environment, you put them into a wilderness environment, and then they spend any number of weeks to months out there. And then they're supposedly supposed to be rehabilitated and then put right back into their their <laughs> regular oh. environment again. Um, oh, goodness.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And there's a lot to be said for that. I know plenty of wilderness therapists that do really good work, but I also know plenty of wilderness therapists, um, who have been doing, um, research into how effective is this? And one of those individuals was Dr. Nevin Harper and he's a Canadian. He hails from the West coast kind of Vancouver area in Canada. And he teaches for, um, Vancouver university, I believe or university of Vancouver, um, And him and I had a long conversation one evening um, after I listened to a similar podcast that he was doing. And he basically explained that while it does, well, wilderness therapy does have effectiveness, there's a lot that hasn't been studied with that in terms of long term effectiveness. Um, And I said to him, I think I can do it differently. I think that there's a way Mm. to make this happen on a local scale in a way that it integrates um, therapy into everyday life so that people who go through this process understand not only how important their connection is to themselves and something greater, whether that's the natural world or whatever, it, you know, you're connected with, but also that, um, there is a way to make this an integrated part of life. Meaning I, I wanted people to understand that, that after a while, the therapy is great, but you can still go outside into a yeah, park.
0: Yes. And yeah.
1: get that same experience. You can still plan a trip if you're here in Rochester to the Adirondacks or to the Catskills or to the Finger Lakes. Or we have all this green space, this beautiful treasury of green space that we are surrounded by. And you don't need a therapist to go use it. Mm. It helps it, if you if you add that, right? But yes. na- nature is a blessing in and of itself. And that it does most of the work for us to make us feel healthier if we just allow that to happen. So... Anyway, 2020 rolls around, uh, COVID, we, my, I, I get this kind of this first initial kind of pilot business up and running tribe, and then COVID hits in March, and I, we, I have all the time in the world, so what am I going to do with my time? I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to get a second master's degree, because <laughs> <laughs> why not torture myself after 12 years being out of school?
0: And um, and being a teacher, so now you're back to being a student. Mm-hmm. Now you're back on the other. Oh boy! Yes,
1: yes, um, and it's interesting watching other people teach who don't necessarily yeah, I'm sure. knowledge of the content, but don't necessarily have an affinity for teaching. Um,
0: yes, you can feel it.
1: Yeah. So I I went back to school and I got uh, my second degree, my second master's degree in mental health counseling, and um, here I am um, as a I'm still. Technically pre-licensed, which means that okay. like a doctor, I would be in residency. So I'm kind of mm. in a residency period right now. I have okay. about fifteen hundred more hours to complete. Um, but in the process, between twenty twenty and let's say uh, May of this year, roughly, um, I, you know, I've garnered some funding from um, private, nonprofit, and public agencies. Um, government agencies. We were the I I was one of the first people to ever receive government funding to run ecotherapy program for veterans. And in that pilot did some really great work. We had an epidemiologist study our work. So a lot of the data that you're seeing on my website is pulled directly from work that we did with veterans. Um, And And that was amazing and I loved it. And now I am in uh, just working in private practice, kind of doing my own thing. It's a little less stressful um, than managing uh, an organization, if you will, with a big project and lots of pressure to match funding. I'm just kind of working with individuals and enjoying every minute of it and knowing that it's effective and it's great and I love it. And I wish more people would do this. Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah so in your so now in your practice, you're using nature and the skills you've got the technical skills, the tradition kind of traditional therapy skills
1: yeah, so the skills are mixed i I have yeah. The science education. I have the educator education, which is great because I usually function through something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a lot of psychoeducation. It's helping people yep. understand just how the mind works.
0: What's to, happening? Yeah.
1: Yeah, to normalize it so people don't feel like they're so isolated or alone or whatever crazy. Um, and then I take that and combine it with the mental health work, which is great because you know they told us to memorize the DSM five and learn all of the. <laughs> um, diagnoses and treatment and all that which is wonderful but this other piece that i really love is um not only am i an eight-year veteran for um practicing wilderness first response so uh, like i am a wilderness first yeah i that which means saw that, I'm a, that i'm a wilderness medic i can i can treat people in the wilderness to the extent of my my credential um but i also have at this point um I'm trying to think 15 years of practice as a wilderness survival specialist. Um, So I love bringing people outside, number one, because I get to practice my skills. But number two, because um, I get to help people understand what nature looks like, not only as a part of them, but really specifically food, medicine, utility, all of those things that help us on a biological level just be mm. a part of the natural world. Um, so I can talk all about the science, but I'm also really good at talking all about the, the hard skills. And I love teaching that stuff. It's fun.
0: I, I mean, I imagine that's a great, what a great diversion for bad self-talk and everything else, right? To go start a fire.
1: Mm-hmm. You remember Tom Hanks? in uh, what, yeah. was that, what was that movie where he talked to wilson all the time cast oh yeah
0: yeah cast remember away. when
1: he remember when he started that fire with his bare hands yeah i highly recommend anybody who's listening to go back and watch that scene again just pull it up on youtube and imagine if you could start fire with your bare hands you might never be afraid to try something new ever again yeah. you know imagine what that does in a therapy setting
0: yeah, I you reminded me of an interview. One of the earliest uh, people I had on was with a company called Chimney Trail. Oh, okay. And uh, they really interesting story. It's a great. It was a great episode. Uh, two gentlemen that came together really over a friend's suicide.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: one of the one of their friends suicide, and he was supposed to be. He was a captain of a ship, and he was supposed to really. He was a a fast track could have been western you know the western fleet commander yeah kind of kind of caliber yeah and took his own life and that ended up these two gentlemen got together and started a chimney in chimney trail and the idea there is they use like boxes and games or activities yeah that are cbt based Okay. And it's kind of do it yourself. You open up the box and it's an activity for like five or maybe it's two. I can't remember if it's one person or two people, but it could be like four people sit around and you do the activity together. And I think a couple of them, one of them is like start a fire. Sure. Uh, Yeah. It's just these kinds of really kind of interesting. And there's a series of boxes of course, or series of activities in which they come in a box. And it's just, it's a practical skill to teach you the CBT techniques.
1: Right. So it sounds like also very engaging, right? Like physical tactile engagement in this process of thinking through mental health. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very tactile. And so you don't feel like you're getting a therapist walking you through something, you know, you're being shown how, you know, how to do it, I guess. Um, I just was just thinking. So when you were mentioning that, I'm like, Oh, you should find those guys, you know, because that's, if you go out and, you're out in the wilderness wilderness and using CBT. This is a really interesting company as well.
1: Sure. It is. Yeah. Chimney, chimney trail,
0: chimney trail.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Chimney trail health and um, preventative self-led mental health in a box. Great. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. Fun, fun stuff. And they're working. uh, Obviously they're also really trying hard with, um, with veterans.
1: Mm, Okay. That's good to know also. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A, veterans are one of my favorite groups of people to work with. They're also one of the most difficult groups of people to work with because of mm. um, what has happened as a result of, you know, exposure to military culture, which is very much like, you know, we don't talk about it. You just shut up and move on. Right. Um, and it's not like all of a sudden once mm. vets are discharged, then that just kind of goes away. It's a piece of them that they bring with them. And it takes a long time to understand that that's not necessarily the healthiest way to live the rest of your life. That might have served you while you were there trying to complete a mission, but it's not the way um, to live a healthy lifetime. You know what I mean? Yeah
0: yeah yeah and I think I think that's kind of an analogy for so many people's journey in mental health right They're trying you know even like you growing up right mm-hmm. you gotta complete the mission because you can see you know you gotta get through this till yeah. I'm eighteen,
1: yeah
0: you know until I can you know go to school or or whatever that chance is when you're gonna have a little bit of safe you know where you can control your environment, yes, and you know it's i think but yeah. just kind of parking everything that's happening to you compartmentalizing <laughs> it, yeah. And, and knowing there's another place, but when you get to that new place, how do you unpack that, that, that little suitcase you've got?
1: Right. And where are the tools that you use to unpack it? And that's the work is learning the tools because, uh, it's that old adage, right? Um, teach a person to fish and they'll be able to, you know, they'll never go hungry for the rest of their lives. And that's what we want is for them to not be dependent on the therapist for the, but for them to slowly feel empowered to help themselves by just building up a skill set.
0: Yeah, I think that that for me is one of the, you know, the really the things we've I'd love to see happen in mm-hmm. the space more is is people getting, you know, getting away from the endless, at least the same kind of therapy, right? Not never changing and always like your dad, right? 15 years of going to see the same person or maybe two or three people, but yeah. the same style, same format, similar setting. Forty yeah, minutes not, at a time. If you're not, yeah, I mean exactly. and i i I mean, it would be like me going to my trumpet class when I hadn't practiced, yeah. right it'd be like, yeah. like, That's let's really make the idea. warm up, let's make the warm up last as long as we can, let's see if we can have a couple of side discussions, we'll spend about ten minutes on the on the lesson I didn't really practice, and then we could talk about next week, right? yeah, like how fast can I get out of here
1: exactly,, uh,
0: and how can I reduce the real conversation to the shortest amount of time,
1: mm-hmm. And that's the problem, too, is that a lot of these big facilities, and I'm not knocking big facilities, or rather, I'm not knocking the the staff in the facilities because they're doing the best they can working within the guidelines that have been set forth, right? But unfortunately, the guidelines are all about productivity. Um, I did a short stint for an internship Mm. after I got out of college, and I'm not going to name the company, but I can tell you that um, it's here in New York, and they are very, very much... Focused on productivity meaning they want to see how many there are for one therapist how many clients they can get through in one day and some therapists have up to a hundred clients that they're seeing and some of these clients aren't even really getting the care they sometimes they don't show up or sometimes they'll show up and they'll just talk about you know whatever that therapist happens to be wearing for the day or they're wearing for the day or a fashion style but the treatment really isn't happening and these therapists feel like they're mm. under the gun almost to you know um treat this whole process like a burger king drive-through like okay tell me your order what do you need okay you're out next tell me your order what do you need okay you're out next uh, and that's... it's that's not real therapy and as a matter of fact i wouldn't be surprised if it's doing more damage to some extent because you know if you've gone to therapy let's mm. say for two years and this is the way that you're receiving treatment. You're more apt to think that you're the problem when, in fact, it's the way the treatment's being handled.
0: That would be the worst outcome. Yeah. The worst outcome would be that you it's you.
1: Yeah. Nothing's working. Therapy doesn't work. I'm damaged. I'm broken. And I can tell you that I have heard that not just where I did my internship, but Mm. also when I received veteran clients in from the VA. I cannot tell you.
0: Yeah, I'm sure how many times it's, in
1: intake I would hear them say like I think I'm broken. I just don't think that I can be fixed. It's like I'm I'm not sure that that's the case. I think it's just a system you were working within, honestly.
0: Yeah, I feel for th- I feel for therapists right now in those, you know, we there's going to be I mean, there'd be a lot of smaller I think smaller practices where it's run by one per one therapist and it's a team of, you know, I've met some of these where it's four or five ladies together. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um Versus a big investment company buying up ten practices, yeah, and then it's going to be all about the metrics,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? You know, you're going to want to very quickly, and if they do, I, I mean, this is a scary part. I know how the, I mean, I kind of know how this works. If the metrics work out, then they'll buy more practices, and this will just continue, right? The franchises will grow, and right. they'll swallow, they'll swallow up, you know, every forty-five-year-old person who has a book of business is going to get swallowed up and this will be what's applied. And then they'll, they'll do the licensing and then they'll get the legislation. I mean, you know, the good news is at least if the investment, at least if the investment firms do come into the space, they will convince Congress (laughs) through some, (laughs) through some political donations to at least fix the licensing state by state.
1: Yeah, I I guess so. I guess so.
0: I can almost, I would really, I'd be willing to bet anybody a thousand dollars that the licensing will be fixed. And this will be the reason because investment, investment companies can only do this really well if they can get, across if you can get one light, line, right. And you get across state lines. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and that will solve, that will solve so much of the, of the challenges. Yeah. Um, so
1: we're hopeful for that, right? At least, at least that might come out of it.
0: Yeah. It's a good outcome, but I, the, the metrics worry me if they're very focused on, number of patients, what they're trying, they're trying to establish the, the ROI, right? What yeah. are the metrics? What, what do I need to, what are the numbers I need to get when I go into a, to buy somebody and how to, how to make an offer mm-hmm. on a practice. Mm-hmm.
1: And how do to they keep know what that they can- funding rolling. Because a lot of times if you, especially I, they, if you they, have a government funded agency yes. or a state, yeah. you know, state or federal funded agency, the only thing that matters is how much money are we putting in and how many people are being seen they're not worried about the quality of the care. They're worried about how many patients are mm. coming through the system in a day or a week or a month.
0: And yeah, that just keeps
1: just, increasing.
0: Yeah. And do you think that that, I mean, that's a, that's a part, I mean, can we measure care? Is that something that's, I mean, how do you measure care? Because you, be...
1: you just look at outcomes, yeah. right? You look at treatment outcomes. You, um, the same thing that we used to do with our program um, when we ran the the veteran program, You bring people in. You give them a baseline. So we would give them um, a PCL five, looking for depression, or I'm sorry, or looking for PTSD symptoms, um, or a Mm -hmm. PHQ nine, looking for depression, or a mindfulness questionnaire, um, looking for like emotional regulation. Then on day one, we would assess them again, and that was that would sometimes only be two days later, just again to make sure the baseline matches.
0: Just to match, yeah, to match it up.
1: Six weeks through the program, we would test them again to see where they were at. And then on the final day of graduation, we would test them again. So we would test them four times in 12 weeks or three months. Um, and that's you know it's simple metrics, but the metrics hmm. are there to show that the work is actually happening and it's having a really good success rate. It doesn't take a lot just to know if your client is actually feeling the positive effects of the treatment that you're applying.
0: I mean, yeah, uh, unless you have 100 clients.
1: Exactly. <laughs> unless, <laughs> you said I mean, it.
0: <laughs> I mean, holy cow.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't yeah. know. That would be, wow, that would be a lot of clients. Mm-hmm.
1: It, I can't even imagine having 100 clients that I had to be responsible that's for. Five,
0: that's five a day, right? Five a uh, day.
1: Y- yep, that's right. More or less 20, five a day.
0: Twenty. Yeah, uh, 20, uh, 20 days in a month. And wow. some of those
1: clients you don't necessarily see every single week. You might see them twice twice a month or something like that. Um, yeah, that's only really
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just thinking once. That's just that's enough for 100 appointments. That's once a month. That's not even. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I yeah. yeah i I don't know really how we turn around some of the you know some of this this machinery before it kind of goes off the cliff. But it definitely seems it definitely seems like the investment side is coming in and we'll see a lot of acquisition. A lot of the metrics will come with
1: it. I'm also, I'm trying to keep um, holding out hope for uh, the little folks like, like myself and others that I know that are in this type of practice who know that maybe some of the bigger government regulations need to happen and some of the standardized stuff needs to fall into place. But at the same time, I will be honest and say that when I got into this field to treat people, um, it was more because I saw that the larger system didn't work and I wanted Mm -hmm. to try something different. And I'm appreciative of the fact that there are more and more of us out there that want to try music therapy, art therapy, movement therapy, nature-based therapy. And a lot of that has to do with the complexity of human beings. We are mm. these complex, beautiful creatures that have positive and negative experiences. And what we are dealing with right now is, and this is my personal opinion. So you can't go find science yeah. on this. This is just me, Lindsay okay. speaking. And I always like to underscore like when I'm stating from fact and where you can cite <laughs> that from and where I'm just talking from, you know, out of my own head. But what I am seeing from where I stand is this renaissance of the, of awakening for the way that we not only view mental health as a culture, but also the way that we yeah. treat mental health as a culture. Um, my parents, my father passed at 65, my mother is 78 and, uh, bless her heart. I hope that she, I hope I'm like her when I'm 78 cause she's got all kinds of energy, but, her and most of the people in her era, and even those who are a little bit younger than her, who, you know, my father, like the Vietnam Mm -hmm. era, um, even the talk of therapy is taboo. So you have lots of folks who are in this era where they grew up, where it's like, we don't, we don't go to get our head shrunk. There's nothing wrong with us. We Mm. we're not, you know, defective. Um, We don't need a therapist. Therapists are only for people who are crazy. And in fact, i would i i will always want to be able to put this other narrative out there which is it takes a village it takes a village to keep human beings whole to live together to thrive mm-hmm. and we have we were in this very long phase of like independence and isolation meaning like we can do it on our own we don't talk about our problems with other people yeah. we don't we don't uh Um, broadcast our, you know, our family issues, everything just stays internal. And or we don't talk about that, because it's not okay. And it makes us feel uncomfortable and unsafe. But as we evolve into like this new era, this new generation of people, and a lot of them are younger folks, they are reaching out for help, because they do see how important it is to remain connected to one another and not living in a state of isolation. And that connectiveness is not only within whether it has to do with creativity and art or physical creativity and movement or music or being outside Mm. and going hiking in nature, but there is a need to want to be able, there's a need and a want to be able to connect with all different facets of yourself and to kind of, dare I say, even shed old generational trauma old stigma that doesn't belong to you to move away from that to become your own person to not live in the shadow of your parents trauma um, yes on all levels and one of the best ways to do that is to just normalize connectivity between you and somebody else between you and your therapist between you and your loved ones between you and the natural world that is where healing happens Mm. is connectivity not isolation
0: so beautifully said <laughs> the, you know, from that, just as you were, as you were kind of going through that, especially the deciding to end trauma, right. And, and to, you know, make the connections and then, and I guess you can end it because you've got this connection, right. A deep connection to the human. So many of my guests on the jar podcast
1: mm-hmm.
0: have had a lot of childhood trauma, a mm-hmm. lot of the stories and and Jen and what you would assume is generate and even what they assume or even know from some conversations, generational trauma, right. The way their parents were raised and their parents, right. Where it came from. But I mean, so enlighten, so hopeful for me is they're like, yeah, done. That it ends with me. You know, I, I know we now know better. I think these conversations that we are having, you know, the communications we've got, people do know that, that the human connection is the way to do it, right? Really understanding, showing that love, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a little love for each other and yeah. and all all that, that energy turns very positive. And I don't know how people do it, but that recognition to just say, yeah, not with me and, I, and to the, be the best they can.
1: Yeah, and, and I think what I'm noticing is that when you say, I don't know how people do it, I think what people are learning is to um, drop the shame and that Mm. what's happened to you and happened to your parents and happened to the parent their parents before them is nothing to be ashamed about. Um, It has to do with just understanding that no, before you came along, nobody was given any information again, the tools were missing. So let's just say, let's use the example of, um, Reconciling an argument via screaming in a household, right? Uh, I'm just saying that I'm Italian. And so (laughs) um, sometimes Italians tend to go from zero to a hundred. So that may or may not have been an experience (laughs) that I had in my life, but it um, happens. Right. It happens. So it's not like I'm going to look back and say, okay, it ends here with me, but then look, or rather look forward and say "Okay, it's here with me and then look back at my family and say, and it's all because of you. I'm going to say, I, I recognize that I didn't handle things well up until my point of reckoning. And I'm also recognizing that that was a learned behavior and that Mm -hmm. learned behavior came from my parents because that's how they learned to do it because they learned it from their parents because that's how they learned to do it. So Rather than carrying around this real heavy baggage of shame, just let it go and forgive yourself and forgive those you learn from because they only had a set of one set of tools available to them, too. So if we can learn how to, right, just let go of some of that guilt and shame. Yeah, be good to yourself.
0: And that is, yeah, be good too. I love that comment. And that is really part of that comes part and parcel with that conversation is they always there's that recognition. I think to to let it go and to have the forgiveness and and really feel good and and be just happy with where they are, the content is yeah, that my parents, that was all they knew. I mean, they Mm were did they did the best, they did the best they could, is kind of the con, usually, right. And we know that means based on what they learned you know and and what they went through, mm-hmm. and they tried to be better, and so you know look here we are trying to be one you know one generation if we can all get, if we can get better with each generation
1: <laughs> that's right, but yeah. somehow it
0: doesn't seem like we're doing that somehow it seems like we're we're somehow we're messing up on the mental health I think we're creating other you know i think maybe inside the family things are better, but I think maybe in society we're creating other
1: yeah you know
0: other other kind of triggers that are giving people some difficulty managing.
1: Yeah. And if I was, if I was to approach that from the mindset of a therapist, the first question I always ask is if I'm coming from a place of curiosity and not judgment,
0: I want to ask,
1: why is that happening? Um, Because sometimes it's easy for me to fall into judgment. Like I see and hear people do things and trust me, the first reaction is I have to catch myself. Right. (laughs) But then I say like, okay, where's that coming from? And what does this person need? And immediately the first response is it's fear. It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of having something taken away. Um, it's, you know, not being educated on both ends. It's not from one side or the other. It's both like this lack Mm. of education and this fear of, um, not understanding what's going to happen next. We just fall back into our snail shell- shells and defend, rather than um, getting out there and asking ourselves, "Okay, like how can I understand this problem a little bit better, and how can I contribute yeah. to a solution?" Yeah,
0: Lindsay, awesome chat. Um, very interesting journey. Really mm. interesting journey. And Thanks. and I like you know I like what you. Also, even similar to some guests that I've had on the show, you've taken your journey and turned it into a real, and, and I like how you're integrating your own personal life into a real passion, putting the two together and trying to do, you're trying to do good in the world. I mean, you really are, right? You're trying to leave this place a little bit better than you found it. That's I love right. it.
1: Yeah. That's what we
0: all. Saving the world. Yeah.
1: the world. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm getting there and we'll see what happens when it's my time and I have to go back and review the the notes did it work or didn't it
0: <laughs> yeah one soul at a time well yeah. one soul at a time i mean yeah. you know i mean that's that story of the the sand dollar guy i don't know the sand on the beach um oh i don't know, you know that is, one yeah and I, and I won't get it you know exactly right but there is a it's a, basically the story is like kind of a low tide and they're walk walking along and you know there's a lot of sand dollars mm. and you know they're not the dried up kind they're the morning kind of you know still wet and somebody's throwing one in and you know, but the tide's going to go out and they're going to get they're going to get burned up. And the person walking with them said, you know, you're not going to say, you know, y- 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 there's just too many. And he said, well, it mattered to that one.
1: Oh, you know, kinda, yeah. Wow.
0: I it, I think and it's also there's where does, who did this better was um, uh Rogers. Uh, Jim. Uh, what is his neighbor's? Jim Neighbors. Mister Rogers.
1: Mister Rogers. Yeah. Mister
0: Rogers. Yeah. There's a Charlie Rose interview of this, and it's very similar. And, I love Mister uh,
1: Rogers.
0: It's such a good one. That, you know, it's um, it's basically Charlie Rose asking him. You know you've had so many people, millions of people listen to your, see your show and you've inspired so many kids. And, yes. you know, you've been the, you've been the dad when they were, came home and waiting for dad to come home before dinner. Yes. You know, you were, you were a father to so many kids. And you Including me. <laughs> right. I mean, like I was pretty touched and he asked him, you know, what do you, you know, what do you think of all that? Like, like, you know, you had so many millions and he's like, if I helped one boy, one child, one girl, to feel better about themselves and to go out and be a better person. I it's a miracle. He's like, that's, that's all I need.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a humble. Then,
0: like what a, he, what a humble soul, right?
1: I, yeah. Then I relate with Mr. Rogers. Count me in on that philosophy.
0: Yeah. I'll find it too. I'll send you that. I'll send you that clip.
1: Yes, please. And Hey, before we wrap up, I just wanted to throw like yeah. one science nodule out there for anybody that wants to understand the science behind nature-based therapy. I love it. So, here's the thing. This is my nutshell speech. Okay. Humans are humans are a part of nature. It's not an abstract background, right? It's not just mm. resources for us to use, but it is us, we are nature yes. and it is us, right? So,
0: yes.
1: It, we, you know, us and all of our evolutionary forebears have been deeply connected to nature up as recently as like, you know, 200 years ago. So, we're talking about all of human evolution connected deeply Mm. with the natural world, except for just now, except for just within a blip of an eye. So what we need to understand, right, Mm. is when we go outside and we hear the birds chirping or we feel the breeze on our face or the sun touching our skin, it actually releases happiness chemicals. When we, there's a bacteria in the soil and there's research on this, so I'm happy to show you this, this is science, okay? There's bacteria in the soil That when our body comes in contact with it, like on our fingertips, all over our skin, but mostly our fingertips and our toes, it sends a signal to our brain to release serotonin. So truly being outside in nature does make you happier. It drops your blood pressure. It drops your heart rate. It decreases anxiety. It decreases depression. So even Mm -hmm. if you can't find a nature-based therapist, right, even if you don't have one in your area, truly... You can lessen your need for medication. You can lessen your need or lessen your physical issues, like your your physical problems with your heart and your lungs. You can increase your happiness. You can increase your sense of calm and your sense of peace Mm. just by spending a half an hour to an hour outside in nature every day. That's as simple as going outside in your back porch and talking on the phone with somebody that you love rather than sitting inside or watching TV, right? Right. And it gets yeah. it gets better exponentially the further you go into the woods, right? There is a, a chemical called phytonside that trees give off. It's like a pheromone, if you will. And when we breathe that in, our heart rate and our blood pressure decrease, right? It's pure oh, oxygen that we're breathing in if we stand next to a tree. So it's not woo-woo. It's not, you know, uh, hippie. It's not um, kumbaya. It is real science. <laughs> There's yeah, a reason, right? Why why we are better when we are si- when we are outside, and it's because evolutionarily, that's where we need to be. So I've
0: seen the just seen the studies where you pl- where you walk barefoot, where you get out of your shoes and put your yes. feet bare feet, and just you see your the or the the color spectrum of your energy. Yes, and they show the two different right. You're grounded, You're grounded. Yes, you know it's actually it's what it, you are. You're grounding. That's Literally. what that's
1: what I prescribe to my clients. I don't. Yeah. I don't ask them to go see a you know somebody to prescribe them sertraline or you know Depakote or whatever that is. Like if I can, I'm going to say go spend twenty minutes one day a week or two days a week outside, and then let's come back and talk about your anxiety and depression.
0: So it's so amazing. Yeah. And I love that other one. Beekeepers live longer lives because the bees, the frequency of the, of the, the wings, the way that they the
1: hum they hum yeah. the
0: hum, the hum yes. from the beehive actually is at some perfect frequency for the humans, like your energy. Yes. And it just releases stress like, yeah, or it, it aligns your heart. I can't remember what it was. it aligns your brain, your left and right hemisphere or your, or your internal body um i, have I to don't look know at all it. the Just science minded,
1: but yeah like the amazing. more research you do the more amazing it is and you can't deny i don't know for as long as i understand it you can't deny science and science is science those are the facts it's good for you go outside yeah.
0: <laughs> we love yeah go outside Lindsay. thanks for being a guest hang on for 30 seconds got one more little outro commercial Thanks, everybody, for listening uh, to Mental Health Today. Please do uh, throw us uh, some subscribe and uh, and a like and share and uh, give us a little comment on whatever platform you're listening on. And we'll see you again tomorrow.
1: Yeah, loose, baby. But we're about to go and make this vessel with these great professionals in public glass. We're not part of the community, but we're from the outer family of blowing. Yeah, we're going to go make a magical giant jar with optic lenses so that if you turn it, it changes all the time. So if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change.